Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, move in the way that you want to move tonight in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. The title of my message tonight is The Importance of Pentecost. The Importance of Pentecost. I don't have notes, but if you want to take notes, that's what you can entitle it, The Importance of Pentecost. You know, we, we celebrate um, days that are important. How many of you understand that some days are more important than others? We put levels or degrees of importance on certain days. You know, if you're... Uh, if you're a wise husband, now see, I didn't have to say anything. I, I didn't, all I had to do was make that opening statement, and, and it's, if you're a wise husband, you're not going to forget two very important days. You're not going to forget your wife's birthday, and you are not going to forget anniversary, your wedding anniversary. So we put importance on, in certain things that, that make certain days important. If you decide that uh, football season is here, see, not, not, not very important to this crowd. We put importance and degrees of importance on certain days, and, and tonight I want to give you four reasons for the importance of Pentecost. Four reasons for the importance of Pentecost. Now, we celebrate or recognize Pentecost Sunday on the church calendar, and yet actually we take that day to to usually pastors or or ministers will teach or preach from the passage that I just read and actually also Acts chapter 2 and talking about the events that took place on the day of Pentecost. And we should recognize what the calendar says is this is this would be Pentecost Sunday. But in actuality, for those of us that are full of the Holy Spirit, We're full of the power of the Holy Spirit. He flows in us, out of us, through us, reaches and touches this world around us. Every day is the day of Pentecost. Amen? Amen. Pentecost is very, very important. The Holy Spirit that showed up on the day of Pentecost, demonstrating the power of God, is the same Holy Spirit and power that is available to us today to make us more effective witnesses for Christ. Amen? Amen. So to better understand the person of the Holy Spirit, to better understand his working, what he did on the day of Pentecost recorded in the book of Acts, to have a better understanding of that, there's some things we need to learn about how important Pentecost was. And when we understand those things, we'll we'll be able to relate to him better. We'll be able to experience his power better. We'll be be able to see a release of his power to a greater measure in our lives. Amen? Amen? So are you ready? All right. First off, before I give you number one, let's talk about what exactly Pentecost is. Pentecost was the fulfillment of God's promise to his disciples that they would receive power in order to accomplish his purpose to be witnesses. Now, we're far removed by time from the upper room 
or even great events where the power of the Holy Spirit was manifested like Azusa Street in 1906 or the the revival in Pensacola, Florida, Lakeland, Florida. We're, We're removed by time from that. But can I tell you that God is not bound by time. And what he did on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, what he did on Azusa Street, what he did in in, uh, the Toronto Blessing in Canada, what he did in Florida, is the same thing that he wants to do and release among you and I. So if God wants to do that, if that's God's will, if that's God's plan, and we're not seeing those things happen, perhaps it's because we don't fully grasp the importance of Pentecost and what it should mean to you and I. Number one, Pentecost provides purpose for the believer. Pentecost provides purpose. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Notice what it says. It's a perfect timing, a purpose for what God was doing. When the day of Pentecost came. Here's a little history to help us understand tonight what I'm meaning. Pentecost is, is from the Greek word that means 50th. And it's referring to the 50th day after Passover. Now the Passover was celebrated on the 14th day of the first month of the year. And the third day following that sacrifice, a, a, a sheaf of barley that was harvested was offered to God. This was the first fruits of the harvest. Let me read you a passage from the Old Testament. Leviticus 23 Verses 15 through 17, you can write that down and look it up later. Number seven full weeks from the day after the day of rest, from the day when you give the grain for the wave offering. There will be seven whole days of rest, number 50 days to the day after the seventh day of rest. Then give a new grain gift to the Lord. Verse 17 of that passage, bring from your homes two loaves of bread for a wave gift made of one-fifth part of the basket of fine flour. There will... There will be, they will be made with yeast as first fruits to the Lord. What, is, what, what does that have to do with anything? What are you trying to teach us and show us tonight? I'm trying to get you to understand the importance of Pentecost because Pentecost provides purpose for believers. And what, what this is, why this is so important is because what the Old Testament does many times is serves as, pastor calls it a, a type or a shadow. It serves as an illustration or a story or instructions it gives is pointing to something that's going to happen in the New Testament and in New Testament believers, which is what you and I are. So what, we're, what I'm trying to get you to see is as Pentecost provides purpose for you and I, it's when we understand that Pentecost is about the harvest. Pentecost is about the harvest. Jesus even established that connection when he said in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He was talking about Pentecost being about the harvest. The purpose that Pentecost was bringing to the New Testament church, the purpose that the power of Pentecost brings in your life and my life is for the harvest of souls. And if you don't believe me, I've shared this illustration before, but I'll share it again because it fits. The disciples, the believers, those that walked with Jesus, they were walking with the living word of God. The book of John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among men and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the father. 
That's talking about Jesus. So Jesus was here, and he chose the 12 disciples and others that followed him, and he had 70 disciples that he sent out, and he had a group of people that walked with him and talked with him and saw him do miracles and experience the power of the living word. And yet it wasn't until the day of Pentecost when the, when the power of the Holy Spirit fell, when the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon those believers, then they were gifted with their purpose which was to evangelize. Because you remember, if you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, the, what they call, what's called the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go ye therefore into all the world, teaching men all things, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was giving them the, the instructions of their purpose, but they needed the power of Pentecost in order to be able to have their purpose released in their lives. And the same thing is true for you and I, church. We need the power of Pentecost in our lives to release the purposes that God has designed for us. And the first purpose is that it's about the harvest. We need to be about the harvest. Anytime the church loses sight of that connection that Pentecost is about the harvest, the church will get in trouble. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost for the harvest of souls. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. That's the express purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I thought the express purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was so I could speak in tongues. That's not the express purpose. We'll talk a little bit more about speaking in tongues in just a little bit. The express purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to, to release within us the, the purpose to go fulfill reaping the harvest of souls in this world. When Pentecost comes, it will always align us with God's purpose. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to overflowing with the evidence of speaking in tongues as the first physical evidence that you've received the baptism, then you're going to be aligned with God's purpose. And God's purpose is the harvest. Yes. Number two, Pentecost produces unity. One of the common criticisms concerning Holy Spirit baptism is the fear that it's an experience that divides his church. The fact is nothing unites the church more than when the person, power, and presence of the Holy Spirit will fill a church. Yes. Think about that for a minute purpose of Pentecost. Pentecost provides unity. It's what unifies us. Look at, look at Acts 1 to verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Verse 13, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Notice that it was the apostles, it was Mary the mother of Jesus, it was the brothers of Jesus. They were all men and women from varying backgrounds, but they had some things in common on the day of Pentecost. Number one, what they had in common was they had all been witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. And they were waiting in response to Jesus' command to remain in Jerusalem. They had witnessed those that, those that maybe had doubted and denied and weren't sure. They had witnessed. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And they were willing to wait and do what he said. Because he said, go into Jerusalem and wait. Terry, stay until you receive this gift. So they were waiting in response to Jesus' command. 
Men and women who simply wanted what God had and what he had promised them. Luke also tells us that that these disciples were gathered in one place in the upper room. But more significant than the place is the position that they were meeting in, in one accord, the Bible says. The New, New International Version says they were all together. The New King James Version says they were in one accord. Now, there's, a, there's some, can be some misconceptions and errors when it, talk, when it comes to unity in the church. To understand what this unity, what was going on, this, this unified act that was taking place on the day of Pentecost, to understand what it's about, we need to understand that it's not unity that was man-made or made up. And neither it was controlled. They weren't forced to be there. The word that Luke uses, I looked it up because I'm not a Greek scholar, but I looked it up. The word that Luke uses is homothumadon. It occurs 11 times in the book of Acts and once in Romans chapter 15, verse 6. And it means with one mind together. No one forced these believers, uh, the, to, the followers of Jesus, to be together. They chose of their own accord to be together because they had a common cause, a common purpose, a common savior, a common desire. And the important thing for you and I to remember is the day they'd been waiting for, it came. It was happening. And it was happening because they were unified. Because Pentecost will provide unity. When you and I get baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and we get flowing in the purpose of what God designed for us to do, we'll become unified. There won't be divisions. There won't be quarrels. And, 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 you know, James says, you know, that there's fightings and quarrels among you. Why is that happening, James says? It says because you're trying to consume things upon your own lust, upon your own desires. But when the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon us, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit and he's flowing through us like he wants to and he's allowed by us to do what he wants to do in our lives, it produces a unity that cannot be stopped. In fact, it's one of the things that the enemy fears the most that's why he likes to cause division that's why he likes to cause offense that's why he likes to have people get all bent out of shape about all kind of things because he knows that when we're not unified when we're worried about what somebody might have said when we're worried about how many likes they got on their social media posts as opposed to how many well they people didn't like my post how come they didn't like what was wrong with my post I thought my post was pretty good now we laugh but I'm telling you People in the church get bent out of shape about all kind of stuff. And when we do, we're missing what the power of Pentecost, what the person of the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants to unify us with one purpose, and that's to win this world. Jesus told Peter, he said, when he asked them, who am I? And they gave different answers, and Peter finally said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you've answered well, Peter, but flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't come up with this on your own. You didn't read it in some book somewhere. You didn't Google real quick while the others were answering to find out what the right answer would be. The Spirit of God has revealed this to you. And he said, you know what? It's upon this revelation. What revelation? That the Spirit of God wants to do something through the church. That the Spirit of God wants to unify the church. It's built on this revelation. I will build my church. And when his church is unified, When we move in one mind, one accord, position ourselves to be one unit, one mighty force, the Bible says the the, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. 
Now, in case you might not know this or have forgotten this, the gates of hell, when Jesus is talking about that, gates do not get up off their hinges and march out against the enemy. And Jesus didn't make a mistake when he said the gates of hell will not prevail. He wasn't describing that the church of the living of Jesus Christ was standing there and the gates of hell was coming against them. What he was describing, what he was making a mental picture of for you and I is that the gates of hell, the gates that would keep people locked in hell, locked in bondage, locked in sin, locked in depression, bound by all kind of stuff, those gates cannot stand against his unity unified, empowered by the Holy Spirit church when we march against it. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> the day of Pentecost that they were waiting for, the promise that Jesus had said would come, it came, and when it came, they were ready. They were all there together in one place doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. They were praying and they were waiting for the Father's promise. So we need to examine ourselves. Are we doing what Jesus has told us to do? Or are we kind of wandering away on our own path, doing our own thing? You know, I heard it said, I didn't say this, so don't get mad at me. But I heard it said that there's sometimes people in the church, not this church, but people in the church say, God, I want to go do something. Would you bless it? Rather than saying, Lord, I want to be obedient because I know that if I'm obedient to you, you will bless me walking in obedience. So they were, what, they were where they were supposed to be, doing what they were supposed to be doing, which was what Jesus told them to do. I read a book one time by a gentleman by the name of Brennan Manning can't remember the name of the book at the moment, but it was, a really, it was a really good book. I just, the title just left me. But in one of the chapters, he talks about how too much in the modern church today, we're standing around going, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And he says, I already told you, love. Well, I, I, I know, Jesus, I know you said that we should show love, that, that the greatest of these is love, but, but, but what do you really want me to do? And Jesus is still standing there saying, love, love. If we can learn to do what Jesus said, love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves, and in so doing, we fulfill all the law and the prophets. If we can learn to do that, we will be unified, and there is nothing that hell can do to stop us from advancing the kingdom of God across this valley. Amen? Number three, Pentecost empowers ministry. Pentecost empowers ministry. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is the primary empowering of God that every New Testament believer can experience. I'm going to say that again because you should write that down. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is the primary empowering of God that every New Testament believer can experience. It was so important. The coming of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being sent, the power of the Holy Spirit being released in the church through the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, that fell upon those 120 that were in the upper room. It was so important that Jesus said, look, it's, I've got to go. Because if I don't go, he can't come. But when he comes, and then Jesus begins to give the job description of what the Holy Spirit would do. It was so important that, that it says in Acts, Jesus told them, do not leave Jerusalem. 
But wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Following salvation and being born again, spirit baptism is the first step in our development as a Christian. For a long time, I know in the, in the Pentecostal Assemblies of God uh, circle that I used to run in, that I came up in, that I was, uh, you know, very early received credentials and recognized as a minister or a pastor or a leader. I know in that circle, many times it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the first thing you do after salvation, but something maybe you get to later on. But I'm here to tell you, Pentecost is so important. The power of Pentecost being released in the life of the believer, it's so important that after you are saved and born again and made into a brand new creature by the renewing of, by the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit in your life, the baptism is the first thing that should take place as in our development as a Christian. God wants us to be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, those say, those, there might be those that say, I don't need to be baptized in the Spirit. They say that because maybe they don't fully understand it. In fact, there's a meme, and I didn't know, how, I didn't know what memes were for a long time. I'm still kind of slow on the uptake with uh, social media and stuff, but there's a meme going around. I saw it, and I saw somebody else posted it on their Facebook, and it says, do I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to get to heaven? And it says, bruh, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit released through us. And can I tell you, it only comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's how the power of God to its fullest extent is released through the believers. When I was growing up, I'm not going to go into my, my testimony. Many of you have heard it and it's long and amazing and wonderful and I'm thankful that for it. I'm thankful that I've got a testimony. Some of it I would have rather not have had to go through, but I'm thankful for where God has me now. But I grew up with a father who was a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor. And I grew up with relatives that on my mom's side were tongue-talking, full of the Holy Ghost, uh, f filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. But on my, uh, on my immediate family, early on in my life, we didn't really, the Holy Spirit was there. That was about it. And I remember the first time I went to kids camp at age 10 in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, they did the flannel. Remember the flannel graphs? Some, I, I lost some of you right there. Some of you are like, have no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, anyway, the, the, the speaker at kids camp was using the flannel graph and was, was teaching about the day of Pentecost and the tongues of fire. And we're all sitting there cool because, you know, he's putting up the pieces of flannel in the shapes of tongue over the flannel pictures of the people that stick to the board. And, and at the end, they're like, you know, just they, they gave an altar call if you wanted to get saved at kids camp and then if you wanted more of God. And I remember I was there at the altar and it seemed like forever and might have been. I was there at the altar and I guess I just felt this, this overwhelming sense of God's presence. I was 10 years old. I felt this overwhelming sense of God's presence. Uh, and I, and, and I, would, I was praying and all of a sudden I was going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I just, I just kept saying Jesus really, really fast. And in my 10-year-old brain, I was like, I wonder if that's speaking in tongues. And then all the flooding memories of, but we don't do speaking in tongues. That's not something we're supposed to do. That's, uh, that's kind of weird. 
And so it really inhibited me at, at age 10 from receiving the fullness of the release of the power of God in my life. Fast forward several years. I'm in, I'm in high school, a freshman in high school. It's New Year's Eve, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table of my Aunt Bessie's house. Now, my Aunt Bessie, Bessie Fisher and Nell Gaines Cheek, they were a, 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 a women's evangelistic team. Back when it wasn't popular to be women evangelists. That's some of my heritage. My Aunt Bessie and Sister Nell would travel as, as, as women and they'd go preach in tents and see the power of God fall. She was so instrumental in me getting in church at a very crucial time in my life. She prayed for me and she kept telling my mom as I was becoming a teenager, make sure that boy's in church. Man, get, get that boy in church. Make sure he's in church. And I'm standing here before you today, a minister of God, called by God because of that godly heritage. And I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I'm sitting, at, I'm sitting at her kitchen table. And I think Aunt Bessie was in the, the living room talking to my, my mom and my stepdad. And Miss Nell and I were having a conversation. She was like an aunt. We were having a conversation. And she, she started talking about the Holy Spirit. And she asked me, had I ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I said, I think so. And she said, tell me about it. So I began to tell her about that camp, kids camp experience. And, and she didn't criticize. She didn't make me feel bad. She didn't condemn me. She just smiled and nodded. And when I was done, she said, Sweetheart, the book of Acts tells us that when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they spoke in an unknown language. They spoke in a language they didn't know. You were close, but there is so much more that God wants to do in your life. Do you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I went, here? Now? I'm just being honest. And she said, yes, here and now, because his presence is here. And I can tell you, I started to feel his presence right there in the kitchen, sitting at the kitchen table as the clock was heading towards midnight. She laid hands upon me and she said, just open your mouth and just begin to praise him, just like you were there at kids camp. Just begin to call upon his name and praise him and give him glory. And when you begin to hear and sense there's something more, just let your voice speak it out. So I did, sitting right there. And at first it was Jesus, 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 I love you, I love you, Jesus, I love you, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And I'll tell you, the power of God was released in me, and God began to deal with me, and I needed that power to stand against things that I was facing. So I'm here to tell you that the Pentecost provides ministry, the power of Pentecost, the release of the power of the Holy Spirit in you and I, it provides what we need to to minister. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as salvation. At salvation, we are born again by the Spirit. This is what's called the regenerating work of the Spirit. The Bible says we are indwelt by the Spirit. And this indwelling of the Spirit happens the moment we are born again. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. What's Paul saying there? Paul's saying when we're born again, when we, when we repent of our sins, when we confess our sins before the Lord, asking him to forgive us, declaring our utter dependence upon him, that without him, not only can we not make it in this life, but we are destined for hell, which was not created for us. Side note, side note. 
call it my soapbox if you want. I've really been bothered by some of the stuff that's been coming out in social media by Christian, former Christian uh, leaders who are saying they're now renouncing. And one of them said, you know, I, I, just, I, I just can't, I'm struggling in my faith because how could a God who loves send people to hell? Can I tell you that God who loves has done everything that was necessary and possible to make sure that nobody goes to hell? So to begin to think that God sends people to hell is a lie from hell itself to get people deceived. Okay, that was my soapbox. <laughs> if we have the spirit of Christ in us, we're going to look like Jesus. The power of Jesus is going to be released. How, how, how on earth do we think without the power of the Holy Spirit in us that we'll be able to do any of the miracles, let alone more, greater things than Jesus did? How are we even going to be able to do the things that Jesus did? If the power of God is not in us, released in us, overflowing out of us, leading, guiding Directing us, Pentecost provides for ministry. All those who have been born again have the Holy Spirit living inside them. You don't get the Holy Spirit at a later time. He dwells inside us at the beginning of our new life in Christ. Every believer has the Holy Spirit living in them, but the Bible plainly shows that spirit baptism is different from and occurs after this indwelling of salvation. So if I already have the Holy Spirit when I'm saved, then why do I need, what, what more do I need? Well, I want to give you two benefits tonight that we can receive from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first benefit is, God, is what God wants to do in us. He wants us to be immersed and experience a greater intimacy with him. He desires to immerse us in his spirit. This immersion is indicated in Acts 1-5 when Jesus said, John baptized, immersed you in water, but soon you will be baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for baptize is baptismo. I didn't have to look that one up. I, knew, I learned that one. The Greek word for baptism or baptize is baptismo, and it means to literally be immersed or covered over. It doesn't mean to be lightly dipped or sprinkled, it means to be completely drenched, to be completely immersed, to be saturated, to go down in the water and come up out of the water, completely soaked in the water, to go down in the Spirit and come up completely saturated in the power of the Holy Spirit, leaking the Holy Spirit all over the place as you go, everywhere you go, every place you walk into, the presence, the aroma of heaven is flowing out of you and I when we are immersed in the Holy Spirit. And that's what the day of Pentecost was all about. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit that God wants each and every one of us to experience. It's a gift. He's provided for it. He's the baptizer. And he wants every one of us to experience it. This immersion, this immersion is not a baptism uh, into an experience of an impersonal force. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He can be grieved. He can be lied to. He can be, he, he can be um, um, we can't manipulate him, but we can, we can cause him. I'm, I'm losing what I'm trying to say. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. We can deter him from being able to do what he wants to do in our life by our own choice because he's not some impersonal force or thing out there. He's a person, the third member of the Trinity. This means 
that it's the Lord's desire to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. What that means is he wants to immerse us in himself. Luke describes a scene in the upper room. Suddenly a sound like a blowing, this is in chapter 2 of Acts. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the first benefit or the first thing that we get from the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what God wants to do in us. That he wants to so immerse us in the Holy Spirit and the power of God. The second thing is there's a, a change that takes place. This immediate immersion into the Holy Spirit affected both their spiritual awareness and their physical senses. Their hearing was influenced when the sound of a strong gust, gusting wind filled the house. What do I mean by that? When the power of the Holy Spirit, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, when we are immersed in the Holy Spirit, guess what? We're going to begin to hear God-inspired sounds. God's going to be able to speak to us. He's going to be able to interrupt our day. When we wake up in the morning and we say, good morning, Holy Spirit, he's going to say, good morning, I got something for you to do today. And we're going to begin to hear God-inspired sounds. That's one thing. That's a change that will take place in our life. And what that does is that equips us for the ministry. They also begin to see God-inspired sights. Not only was there a rushing mighty wind that they heard, but they begin to see tongues of fire descending. They begin to see things from heaven. Not only was their hearing and their sight affected, but as the fire came to rest upon each one of them, they were literally immersed, filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. It's like if I had a water bottle. I've got one down there, but it's not open. If I had a water bottle that was open and it was almost completely filled and I took another water source and I began to pour it into that water bottle, it'll only... It'll only uh, stay inside that water bottle till it reaches the top. Once it reaches the top, if I keep pouring, it's going to overflow. It's going to cause that, that nice table to get wet. It's going to cause the chairs to get wet. The floor, if I keep pouring, it's going to spread. That's what being immersed in the power of the Pentecost is for the believer. The verb that Luke uses for, the, for filling is used to indicate the process of being anointed with the power of the Spirit for divine service. The fire fell from heaven and separated to rest on each person in that room. Their entire existence was saturated by God at that point. Should it be any surprise then that they spoke in God-inspired words? As they begin to hear God-inspired sounds and they begin to see God-inspired sights, is it any wonder that when they open their mouth, they begin to speak God-inspired sounds? The sound of the wind and the tongues of fire were signs initiating the, the, the Holy Spirit coming and, and being baptized. The Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to speak in other tongues. The universal question about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, how will I know that I have received the baptism? One of the common misunderstandings of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that when a person speaks in tongues, that's it. They've received all that they're going to get. That's why I said we'd get back to this. Listen, Speak in tongues. Paul said, I pray in tongues. I pray that you all, he said, I wish all of you would pray in tongues. Paul said, I pray in tongues more than any of you. Praying in tongues is not something that we should be afraid of, and yet many times we are. Because just like me at 10, we have those preconceived ideas that it's not from God, that it's something we made up. Can I tell you that 
God is not going to come down. The Holy Spirit is not going to descend upon you and treat you like, uh, you know, one of those uh, puppets that sits on somebody's leg or sits on the stool that's got an opening in the back with all kind of controls. And as long as the ventriloquist is controlling the controls and causing the, the mouth to open and close, then we act, it seems like the, the dummy is saying something. That's not how God treats you and I. When we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he's not going to come down and open up our mouth and move our tongue back and forth to formulate sounds. It's a cooperation between us and him. It's a surrender of our will. It's an understanding that he's got something for me, and if it's from God, it's good. If it's a promise from his word, then I want it. Everything his word declares that I can have, I want. If I can have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through me, that I can open my mouth, and he will give me the words to say the key is I have to open my mouth because I'm thinking something right now. But you don't have a clue what I just said in my head because I didn't open my mouth and engage my tongue to, to speak out what, I was, what was going through my head. The same is true in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you begin to get in that place of worship and surrender and recognize he is all that he says he is, he is most glorious, he is wonderful, he is the fairest of 10,000s, he is the bright and morning star, he is more than we can imagine and we don't have the words to describe how awesome he is. And when we get in that place and we surrender ourselves to him and we begin to open our mouth and move our tongue and pray in the language that we know he will enable us to pray in a language that we don't understand but is in direct communication with the throne room of heaven when we pray in the Holy Spirit and yes when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit you'll speak in tongues that's the initial physical evidence scripture shows it more than one time. And when you, that's, that's receiving the baptism. But again, you get a prayer language, which is praying in the Holy Spirit. And when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you are praying a direct line. You've got the, the, the hotline phone in heaven in operation. And when you're praying in the Holy Spirit, not only are you praying directly to God, but you're praying God's perfect will for your life. And can I tell you, if God's going to answer anybody's prayers, it's going to be his own. So if God the Holy Spirit is praying through me when I open my mouth and use my prayer language and begin to exalt him and pray, I don't know what I'm praying. I don't, sometimes don't even know why I'm praying. When the earthquake happened, we were up at which one? I know. I saw somebody on Facebook. Somebody was having a midnight snack about 1239. Said I was up for a midnight snack and there was an earthquake. I was sleeping. I had never felt it. I didn't feel anything last night. But when the earthquake came, we were getting ready to go to a, to a staff event that the church staff was having. And we, we were getting ready, and John was sleeping. And all of a sudden, the house began to shake. And, and, and my wife was there in the, in the bathroom finishing getting ready, and I'm standing in the doorway, and the, it starts to shake. The electricity goes out. I grabbed the door post of the bathroom door, the frame, and my wife said it's the loudest she's ever heard me pray in tongues. I didn't think about doing it. I didn't wonder if I should. I didn't try to, I didn't have to build myself up. It was the first thing that came out of my mouth. Because you know what? I was, 
my, my, my natural man said, this is a problem. I better engage what I have that will, over, that will defeat this problem. I don't know how long I prayed. I just know I was standing there praying, and we didn't have any damage to our house. John, John slept through it. I had to go wake him up. It's the power of Pentecost, church. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. There's an unspoken perception that tongues is the baptism. Tongues is a part of it. It's the initial physical evidence. But there is so much more to Pentecost and the release of Pentecostal power in you and I. I've heard it said, do I have to speak in tongues? My answer to that is what I heard somebody else say. That's the wrong question. No, you don't have to speak in tongues. I don't have to speak in tongues. I get to. So do you. We get to speak in tongues. We get to have a weapon that the enemy has no weapon against. We get to have a prayer language that the enemy cannot interrupt. We get, why wouldn't we want to? Life is hard enough trying to do it on your own. In fact, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. I need everything that God has. Whew. In case you need scriptural evidence for the initial physical evidence of, speak, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, Acts 2.4, on the day of Pentecost, all of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak, Acts 10.44-46, at the house of Cornelius, while Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard, and they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Luke uh, tells us in Acts 19, verse 6 and 7, while teaching the new Christians in Ephesus, Paul laid his hands on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Scripture tells us that's what's going to happen. But, and, and listen, I, had to de- I, had to, I don't have time tonight, but I had to deal with my own stuff. Even after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, it was like I, that's for special occasions. When I met my wife in Bible college, she prayed in tongues more than any person I had ever met. It's like every time, yeah, praise God, whoever said that, amen, praise God. It's like every time she prayed. That's because when she got saved at 13, the first time somebody told her how much Jesus loved her and there was a way to be saved from the life she was living in, and she gave her life to Jesus, the first time she opened her mouth and prayed out loud, she was praying in tongues, and she closed her mouth, didn't know what it was, went and asked somebody at camp, and they, they did their best to explain it because they were actually um, a Baptist individual who was serving as a counselor at this Assemblies of God camp who hadn't experienced what my wife was, was when she opened her mouth to pray, was experiencing. And, and we've been married 30, we've been married 34 years. Thank you, Jesus. Well, you, you just, I, I'm just being transparent. I was embarrassed. Because it went against that religious ingraining that I still, God still had to do, deal with in my own life. Oh, yeah, I believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believed in speaking in tongues, and you did that on special occasions. But like what we do around here, that didn't happen in the Assemblies of God Church I grew up in. That might happen at youth camp, or that might happen at a special revival service. It sure didn't happen. You sure didn't do it at home. And yet, and yet she said, I do, and I said, I do, and we got married, and and I'm just telling you, she, she just prayed in the Holy Spirit all the time. And I'm so thankful that I have joined the ranks. Yeah. 
I'm so thankful now that when I don't know what to do, and even when I do know what to pray, I mean, it's like, it's like, hey, let's pray. When, when we, it's like, let's pray for someone, somebody's sick, let's pray. All right, Father, thank you, Roshan, and it just goes into tongues because I, it's the power of God being released in my life, and it's letting the enemy know he is not, not only is he already defeated, he's not winning in this one. Amen. Whew. The disciples were not surprised that they spoke in tongues since Jesus had previously prepared them for this experience. Jesus had prepared them to expect tongues as a sign for their belief in him, Mark 16, 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues. All right, I need to, I, I, I still got one more point. <laughs> My belief and my reason why God would choose something that seems controversial as the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is because what James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, says. James wrote in his letter to believers in the church in Jerusalem. He told them, you guys have trouble controlling your tongue. He said things like, you know, uh, with, you, with your tongue you praise God and yet you curse God who's made, you curse man who's made in God's image. These things shouldn't be. And he begins to describe how unruly the tongue is and how it's the most powerful member of our body. And yet when it's set on fire, both by the power of the Holy Spirit or by fire from hell, things can happen because the Bible tells us there's power the power of life and death is in the tongue. Why do I think God chose? I mean, he could have chose the initial physical evidence of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was their eye color changed. He could have. He could have chose that, that if they were, were right-handed, they suddenly became left-handed. He could have chose that if they were, were brown-headed, now they were blind. He could have chose whatever he wanted to choose, but he chose that the initial physical evidence of receiving the gift of the promise of the Father of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the release of Pentecostal power in you and I was speaking in an unknown tongue because it showed a complete surrender of the life to the Lord, that if he can have control of this, then he's got control of everything. Because if you're like me, there's too many times that I'll say something and as soon as it goes out of my mouth, boy, I wish I could reach out in the air and grab it and silence it before anybody heard it and just, do, just get rid of it, just stomp on it and make it go away. Because there's power in what we say. There's power in what we, what we, what we say is what we believe. Now, we might lie, but if you, listen, if you hang around somebody long enough and you listen, talk, listen to them talk long enough, they're going to reveal their heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why God chose. Listen, when you receive the promise, the endowment of power on high to be effective witnesses, to provide a purpose in your life, to release that purpose in your life, to provide unity so that everything that you set your... I mean, God understands the power of unity. That's why he did what he did at the Tower of Babel all the way back in the book of Genesis. The people were all together. They lived all together. They lived in the same region. The population was all there. And it says God looked down and saw that they were building a tower so that they could ascend to heaven. And God says, if we don't do something about this, talking to the Trinity, if we don't do something about this, they'll accomplish this because when they're unified, there's nothing they can't accomplish. 
The same is true when we as a church become unified. And the best way to become unified is to allow the power of Pentecost, the person of the Holy Spirit, to flow in us and move in us and cause us. You know, it, the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil was used for healing, binding up wounds, making things, you know, oil cuts down on friction. When you're flowing in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is flowing in you, when you're immersed in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is flowing out of you, there's less friction between you and your brother or sister in the Lord. Okay. That's why he chose the outward manifestation of, of the Spirit to be speaking in tongues. Number four, not only does Pentecost provide purpose, produce unity, and empower ministry, number four, lastly, it propels the mission. The spirit baptism is all about God directing and empowering our speech. You see, God wants to speak through us. The spirit baptism is not just for our own personal blessing. It is also to empower us to bless others. The baptism is not just something that happens to me, but also something that happens through me. As soon as Peter received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and was in the upper room with the rest of the 119 up there, praying in unknown tongues and speaking, declaring the praises of God, as soon as somebody said, you guys are drunk, the same one that had denied Jesus three times, the same one that had run, the same one that had rebuked Jesus and said, you're not going to Jerusalem because they're going to kill you and I'm not going to let you. That same guy, all of a sudden, he stood up among the same people that had crucified Jesus, uh, you know, months earlier, and he began to preach. And when he preached, 3,000 got added uh, to, to the church that day. I, I'm going to brag on my son, pick on my son just a little bit. When, when we first brought... John and his sister's home, uh, 10, almost, can be almost 11 years now. We begin to teach him things about the Bible, and I'll never forget, Jan was, was teaching him about the day of Pentecost and talking about how, you know, that 3,000 got saved, and I'll never forget John's question. Only 3,000? What happened to the rest of them? What was wrong? And I thought, why, why I never had that thought. What an amazing thought. Why only 3,000? And yet the point is, it was the power of Pentecost that propelled the mission of the church. Listen, if the church hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if those in the upper room hadn't received this power of Pentecost, they would have never been propelled into the mission to evangelize and change the world. And they changed the world. They turned it upside down, the known world. If you study church history and you look what happened to all the, all the original disciples and many other followers from that time, they went to different areas and different regions because of persecution but also because of the power of Pentecost that propelled them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And because of it, the gospel went into regions like what we now know as India, Ireland, and other places because of these guys and these people that were full of the power of God and filled with the Spirit of God. It propelled the mission of the early church forward, and it'll do the same thing for you and I. When we allow the power of Pentecost to operate in our lives fully, to the fullest extent, to more than we can imagine or think, it'll propel us to a mission, mission places that we never thought, because there's some of us that would never think about going next door and talking to that atheist who curses you every time you walk outside, but yet you get full of the power of the Holy Spirit. You get immersed in the power of God like never before. You'll take him cookies. You'll wash his car. You'll do something because you can't help yourself because you're compelled to fulfill the mission of the church because the power of Pentecost propels forward 
the mission. God wants you and I to experience his fullness. Minister Micah, if you or whoever's coming back to the keyboard, thank you. I shared one thing that's been bugging me. I'll share another. I think I shared it last, um, last Thursday when I preached, um, which we're continuing our Holy Ghost meetings. Tomorrow, 12 noon, I'll be bringing the word, and Friday, 12 noon. Uh, we had a, boy, did we have a time. I, I will tell you, I'm so, I'm so thankful to be part of what God is doing. Um, after I got up off the floor, I looked over, and my 16-year-old son is laid out under the power of the Holy Spirit uh, today because we were here in God's presence, allowing God to do what he wants to do. So I encourage you, not only get all God has for you tonight, be here tomorrow. In fact, get all God has for you tomorrow morning when you open your eyes and before your feet hit the floor. Anyway, God wants us to experience his fullness. So the question is not whether God wants to fill you and I. The question is, will we ask him and humbly receive all he has to give us? Will we ask him for what he's already promised he would give? But he's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to ask him to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Even now, within the sound of my voice, I know because the Spirit's bearing witness in my spirit. There's people here that are like, yeah, that's good for all those people. That's good for you, Minister Barry. That's good for your wife. That's good, but it's just not me. I said to some other things, there's a couple other things that have been bugging me. I've been doing a little research on, on what the scripture says, greater works than these shall you do. And I am surprised and just frankly disgusted at the amount of Christian blogs and responses on the internet that say it's ridiculous for the modern church today to think that we could even ever do anything coming close to what Jesus did, let alone do greater works. So surely that's not what Jesus meant. He was actually only talking to his original 12 disciples when he said that. And, and so the church is deceived to think that they can begin. And it actually says things like there are actually believers that are walking around thinking they have the power to raise the dead, thinking they have the power to cast out demons, thinking they have the power to lay hands upon the sick and see them recover. And I'm reading this and my blood's starting to boil. And, I'm, but then, and I, I said it th last Thursday. Thursday. But then the Holy Spirit spoke to me in his gentle way and said, don't get angry. Feel sorrow for them. Feel sorrow for them because they are shortchanging what I want to do. They're not experiencing everything. They're not experiencing my fullness. Listen, can you get to heaven because you repented of your sins? Jesus accepted your, for your repentance and forgave you and washed you and made you clean and brand new? Absolutely. And you can do it without ever speaking in tongues and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you that Jesus said the reason we need the power of Pentecost, why Pentecost is so important, is because without it, we will not be effective witnesses. Without the power of Pentecost in our lives and the person of the Holy Spirit released in our lives, we will not overcome temptation near as well. I love what Pastor Daniel said. It's like, it's like uh, that secret weapon he told the story about when he went out berry picking for the first time. And he wasn't, he wasn't taking a gun, and somebody gave him, I don't remember the size of the gun, but it must have been a big one. A, a what? 4570. And said, let your family, let your family pick the berries. You stay and watch, because bears like berries. And I'm retelling his story, but it was a good one. And he said, a, a person told him, if you see either black or brown hump coming over the ridge, just start 
just start emptying this gun because that's the power you need to take down that, that bear that's coming after your family. Can I tell you, church, tonight, if you'll stand with me all across this place, the power that's available to you and I to take down the enemy, to cause the enemy to turn and flee and run is, one, the name of Jesus, and two, the promise of the Father. So the question is simply this. Do you want the fullness of the Holy Spirit power released in your life? Do you want to be fully immersed in Him? Well, I spoke in tongues five years ago. Did you speak in tongues two hours ago? But more importantly than that, did you love like Jesus loved ten minutes ago? On the way to church, were you loving? Was the Spirit of Christ? Remember, Paul said... You don't walk according, and you're not controlled by the spirit of flesh. You're controlled by the spirit of Christ if he lives within you. And if he lives within you and the power's been released, the power of Pentecost, then begin to walk in that. But if there's areas in your life that you're like, I recognize the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now, and I'm, it's lacking. I've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've come close. I've said Jesus really fast a whole bunch of times and said, oh, I got it. Well, first off, it's not it. It's him. And when you surrender your will and your tongue and allow him to enable you to speak what you do not know, you are speaking God-inspired sounds. And you'll begin to hear uh, God-inspired sounds and see God-inspired sights. So before I open the altars for any of the one to come and be prayed for to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit or to receive a greater level or greater measure to be refilled, just to come and say, Lord, I want more. I want more of what you have before I do that. If you're here tonight, the first qualification to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you first have to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that only comes through salvation. If you're here tonight within the sound of my voice or maybe you're listening to this by podcast or watching this later and you've never repented of your sins, oh, you're sorry for your sins. See, there's a difference between godly sorrow, godly repentance, and man's sorrow. Man's sorrow is sorry we got caught and wish that everybody wasn't bugged about what we did. Godly sorrow is we recognize what we are doing is breaking his heart. And we don't want to do that anymore. So if you're here tonight and you, you've never given your life to Jesus because you recognize a godly sorrow that, Lord, I don't want to live walking contrary to you and your word and your will and your way anymore. And I want to surrender my life. Maybe for the first time, everything that I am, I want to surrender to you, to, to God. If that's you, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. You've walked with the Lord before, but things have crept in. I talked about a verse in Ecclesiastes when I preached last Thursday about how a fly in a, in a very expensive bottle of perfume can make it stink. We can allow things in our lives that can cause the flow of the oil of the Holy Spirit to get clogged and to, and to start not smelling so good because we've allowed things in our lives. Maybe you've allowed stuff in your lives and you need to repent of it tonight. Or you want to be assured of your salvation. You want to know that you know that you know and you know her that you're saved and you're going to heaven. If you fall into any one of those three categories, because you got to do that first before the power of Pentecost can be released in your life, would you lift your hand all across this place if that's you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
It is nothing to be embarrassed about. Can I tell you, repentance is not something to be embarrassed about. Man, you, if, if you need to repent of something, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you need to repent of something, you, you need to do it. Don't let your pride, don't let those voices speaking to you, your own inner voice that's saying, if I do that, everybody's gonna think about me. Who cares what everybody thinks about you? It's what he thinks about you, and he sees your heart. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every one of you that raised your hand and those of you that didn't but know you should have, would you step out from where you are and come uh, stand across the front? We're going to open it up for everybody else in just a moment, but we want to take care of this business first. Others are coming with you. Come on, give them a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Take that, devil. Hallelujah. All right. All of you that came forward, you raised your hand. In fact, all of us. Repeat these, this prayer after me. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place. I was a sinner and I deserved death. But your great love sent your son to die in my place so forgive me of my sins Lord cleanse me make me new I am your child because of this prayer tonight thank you Lord for saving me thank you Lord for making available the power of the Holy Spirit so I can live for you in your great name Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Now, every, all of you stay here. Anyone else tonight? You want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer. God is the promise giver. And the Holy Spirit is the one that is overflowing in our life. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so in the power of Pentecost, uh, and because you understand things about it now that you didn't understand, and you want to experience that tonight, step out from where you are and come line up across the front. Pastors and ministers begin to lay hands upon all of these that received salvation tonight and rededication because you need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit too. Lift your hands all across this place. All of you that are coming, when you get to the front, just lift your hands. We got room here in the front. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands. Hallelujah. Prayer team, any, anybody on our prayer team that's here tonight, come and help us pray. Begin to lay hands upon these. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hang on. The Holy, Spirit just in, the Holy Spirit just interrupted me. For those of you that are seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, those of you that are being prayed for now to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, understand this. Ask Him, Father, fill me. Ask Him, Jesus, baptize me. Ask to receive that gift. Do that now. You've already confessed any sin, so ask him to receive that gift. Thank him that he's made it available and that you're saved, and then begin to speak out. Open your mouth. 
Nothing will happen until you open your mouth. Begin to open your mouth. And as you open your mouth, begin to speak and pray out what the Holy Spirit gives you to pray. Pastors and ministers, go ahead, pray for those. Lay hands upon them. Those of you that are, that are in your seats, just begin to pray, intercede for these right now. Worship right where you are. We'll be dismissed in just a little bit. But the power of heaven is in this place. Oh, thank you, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Oh, those of you that are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't let your mind tell you, oh, that's strange. I need to do quietly. Listen. We don't have to be loud to be anointed, but there's nothing wrong with being loud. There's nothing wrong with opening your mouth and speaking out what the language that God gives you. Hallelujah, Lord. Make that your prayer. Sit a fire down in my soul that I can't control. I want more of you. Yes, Jesus. I want more of you, God. Sit a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. 
your children, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. that are still, many are still receiving ministry. Those of you that wanted to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you're, you're like, well, I, I, heard, I heard God's sounds and I began to speak them out. Can I tell you, don't stop. On the drive home, even if you have Air One or K-Love or whatever the other Christian radio stations is on, even if you're normally blaring that, and singing out. Can I tell you, if you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight with the evidence of speaking in tongues, maybe turn that down just a little bit and pray in the Spirit all the way home. If you go to Walmart, pray in the Spirit as you, Lord, pray in the Spirit if you go to Walmart, walking up and down the aisles. When you go to bed tonight, pray in the Holy Spirit. Every one of us as newborn infants we didn't have the ability to speak anything intelligible. We started speaking things because we didn't know the human language. We knew sounds. Bob, I, I remember my oldest son, his sound, he wasn't saying dad, although I claimed that he was saying dad first. It was da, da, he just would da, 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 da. But you know what? He began to hear his mom and I talking. He began to hear the English language around him. And as he began to hear it, he began to speak it. And before long, he, it was fluent. And he was fluent in his, in his native tongue of English. The same thing's true in the Holy Spirit. That's why it's the Holy Spirit that enables us. As we worship him in the language that we know, we'll begin to hear a language that we don't know. And we, when we begin to hear that language, we'll never begin to get good at it if we don't try, if we don't practice. Something that we used to do, and sad to say, we don't do it near enough anymore. But something we used to do as a family, we'd stand in the kitchen and we'd hold hands, Jan and I and our kids in a circle, and we'd say on the count of three, I want you to pray in the Holy Ghost, speak in tongues as loud as you can, for as long as you can. And we'd say, you ready? And it didn't matter how old they were, it was like, uh-huh. And we'd say, one, two, three, go. And they'd be in each other's faces, just speaking in tongues as loud as they could. And you might be like, well, that's foolishness. No, it's stirring up that gift within them. When, when John and Erica and Maylie came home to America, we were here and Jane Hammond was here and she laid hands on all three of them and they were eight, seven, and five. And they fell out under the power of the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues. Now I'm not saying that to make some of you that may be still struggling mentally and you're like, 
I'm asking for it and nothing's happening. I'm saying that to encourage you. Listen, open your mouth. Begin to speak. How do you know what it is? Listen, if your desire is for God, if your desire is for the gift, the enemy's not going to give you something that is from God, God's gonna give you something from God. And if you're surrendered your life to him, you've repented of your sins and your desire is for more of him, then what you hear in your head, that language you don't know, that's from God. Begin to speak it. Amen? All right, I'm gonna have a closing prayer in just a minute. Those of you that are here down front, you stay as you tarry as long as you want. But I felt specifically impressed by the Holy Spirit to do this. When Jan and I first got married and got out of, and I got graduated from Bible college, we went back to my home state of Tennessee and we were youth pastors. And we had a heart for young people. Still have a heart for young people. Still got youth in my house. But I saw more young people deal with issues and struggles and peer pressure. And so I'm talking to you guys right now. I'm not a prophet of doom and saying you won't make it. I'm saying it will be more difficult than it needs to be if you try to live your life for God and with one foot in the kingdom and the other foot in the world. If the appeal of the world is stronger than the appeal of the things of God, get it corrected because it will, you, it'll make it more difficult for you to live and have the life that God intended for you to have. I've seen it. I'm not making it up. I've seen teenagers that in one service say, I love you, God, and I surrender all. And by the time they get to the parking lot, because they aren't allowing the Holy Spirit to be stirred up in them, they aren't opening their mouth and praying in the Holy Ghost if they're full of the Holy Ghost. By the time they get to the parking lot and they get in their car and they drive down the road, the enemy is already telling them that they don't have what it takes to fulfill that commitment. They're already thinking about the next thing they're going to go do that may not please the Lord and how they might even be able, whoops, be able to repent afterwards. And I know I'm sounding harsh, but I'm telling you, you're making it more difficult than you need to. We've been given a gift, and this isn't just for the young people. This is for all of you, but the Holy Spirit specifically. You're back in school. Some of you are in college. Some of you are in your next grade in school. The enemy is not going to make it easy. And you're foolish. I love you and God loves you, but you're foolish if you won't take advantage of what God has made available. And that's a surrendered life to Him and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you. I won't have any friends. Guess what? They're just as confused as you are. They're actually wanting somebody to say, look, I found the truth. Let me share it with you. So I'm challenging you. I'm cha I am throwing down the challenge for every young person here. Commit yourself for the next 30 days. Mine's down there. I'll use my iPad. Spend less time on this. Posting about the fair. Posting about the latest crush. Posting about the latest meme. Anything wrong with those things? No. I'm challenging you. For the next 30 days, put this down. Pick this up and ask him to give you everything that he promised you in this.
Okay. And any adult in this room, you can take that challenge too. Uh, thank you for receiving what the Holy Spirit had for you tonight. I'm telling you, you guys made it easy to preach. Services continue tomorrow, 12 noon. I'll be preaching tomorrow on the fire and the anointing. If you got time to be here tomorrow, 12 noon, come and join us. Let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for all that you did tonight. Holy Spirit, thank you for having your way. Thank you for doing things in the hearts and lives. Lord, things began tonight that if we will continue and allow it to continue, we will never, ever be the same. Set us on fire, Lord. Baptize us with you again. And allow the power of Pentecost to flow through us. We give you praise tonight, Lord. Now, Father, be with your people as we leave this place. Lord, cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards them. And give us peace in your great name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.